when Camper called me to let me know that he wasn't going to be able to uh, perform the baptism today. He also let me know he wasn't going to be able to preach today as he had planned to. Now that we've started an 8 o'clock service, 10 after 7 is later notice than it used to be. So, <laughs> Camper, if you hear this recording, we wish you no ill will. But thanks a lot, man. You can be turning to our text this morning. It's Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. I will say that Camper did leave some notes that were of, a little, were of some help, so we're thankful for that. Uh, if you're just visiting with us, just coming in for the first time, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. And Acts is this great story of God's work in the early church. Uh, and one of the things we've been looking at each week is that the book of Acts tells us about the mission of God. And that's a mission that both comes to us and, then a mission, and it's a mission that God works through us, a mission to us, that God in the saving power of Jesus comes and brings new life and salvation in this name of Christ. Bringing people from death to life, transforming them. His mission is to us. It's always to us who name the name of Christ, not only in the past, at a point where we first accepted the Lord, but every day God is on a mission to us. And remarkably, not only is on a mission to us, He is on a mission through us that he uses us, his people, to bring the word of salvation to others, this transforming life to others. It's the book of Acts, mission to us and through us. And this morning we're going to be, as I said, in Acts chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 22. You'll find this on page 911 of the Pew Bible, if you happen to be using one of those. Uh, and incidentally, if, if, if you don't have a Bible of your own and a good translation you can understand, you're, you're welcome to take one of ours. Please do. Okay, before we read this text together, let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, your word to us. You have not remained silent. You have not remained far off. You have not left us in ignorance and in confusion and bewilderment about who you are, but you have revealed yourself to us. We could not know you accurately or fully, if you had not spoken to us, so you have. And you've given us your word, and you've given us, spoken to us most fully in the person of your son, Jesus. So as we turn to your word this morning, would you use it to change us? Some of us know the transforming power of scripture in our lives. Some of us have never tasted it. Some of us can't imagine that picking up and opening up this book could really be the Lord of the universe speaking to us, and yet it is. Would you open our hearts that we might hear you through your word by your spirit, be with us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Uh, if you were, happen to be here last week, you know the story. Chapter 3 tells the story of Peter and John going to the temple and finding a man who had been crippled from birth and healing him. And he springs up and they walk into the temple. And there's this great uproar as people are amazed at what happens. And Peter stands up and preaches to the people. And then, uh, right as we pick up this morning, we're going to find that, um, uh, that this was of great disturbance to the leaders, and so they come in to shut down the whole show, starting at verse 1 in chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. 
On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. As I mentioned, this comes on the heels of this great healing. This man literally raised up after a lifetime of being physically broken and spiritually broken. He was, he was physically broken. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. He had to beg for his uh, sustenance every day. But also spiritually broken. Because of his crippledness, he was not allowed to enter into the inner courts of the temple where the rest of Israel gathered. He was left on the outside. And through the power of Jesus, all of that changes. He's physically healed and he's restored to his community. And he's reminded again that God has not forgotten him. So this great thing happens, okay? And as I mentioned, Peter gets, stands up and he, and he preaches. He, he tells the people the significance of this, and then the police roll in, right? The temple guards, uh, the rulers of the people, they come in. They're not going to let this continue, and they take Peter and John, and they haul them off to court. And we're going to see um, three things in our text this morning about this, about this healing, about the effects of that as it ripples through this community and to these leaders. We're going to talk about a neon sign. There are neon signs in the Bible. And we're going to talk about a new hope, and we're going to talk about a new courage. Okay, neon sign, a new hope, and a new courage. Okay, the first thing is, is a neon sign. When you when we read and we hear about the healing of this man that astounded everyone, okay, that's the thing that gets this whole, this is why they're in court. Because they come across this, this broken man, and they, and they heal him. And they begin to preach. Okay, so that's what starts it all. What is going on in this healing? Okay, because we read stories like this, and we think, or maybe you think, 
I mean, the power of Jesus comes and it restores this person to physical healing. And I've been praying for days, for weeks, for years, for my own healing, for the healing of others, for particular struggles in my life, for um, the cancer that is ravaging my body or someone I love, for all the physical brokenness that we see around us. And so you have to ask the question, you have to think at some level, when we read this, what, what does that mean? Why healing then and why not now? This might be a surprise to some of us, but Presbyterians really do believe that God still heals people. Okay, now that's why every week when we stand up here and pray together as a community, we pray that God would heal those who are sick. And that's why we prayed individually. That's why in the book of James it exhorts the elders of the church to anoint those who are sick with oil and pray that they might be healed. Okay, we believe that God still does that. Now, there is something interesting and unique and significant about what's going on in this particular healing. Because right here at the beginning of Acts, just as in the ministry of Jesus, we see a whole new phase of God's work breaking into the world. Redemptive activity, God bringing in his kingdom, changing things, healing things at this incredible turning point at the death and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we see Jesus heal people. And it draws them to himself. And we see the apostles stand up and heal this man. Now, the significance of this, it slips by us sometimes in, a, in a, what seems like a very casual word. But look at verse 16, when the religious leaders are conferring about this. They say, what are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evidence, evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. A sign has been performed. And back in Acts 3, in a summary statement, when he talks about um, God building up his church, it says that there are many miraculous works and signs being done by the apostles. What, is a, what does a sign do? It, it points to something else. You might have noticed in the glass of our office out here, we, we, have, the, we have a new sign that we're going to temporarily put out on the front hill that says we have an 8 o'clock service. It's new and we want to help get the word out, so we're going to stick the sign out there. Um, what, what is that sign supposed to do? It's supposed to inform people, supposed to tell them a change has happened, and it invites them in. And these healings in the book of Acts and the Gospels are exactly that. They're called a sign because what do they do? They point to the Jesus in whose name this healing has taken place. Because what happens immediately after the sign of this healing? People are astounded and they come running that they might hear the word of God preached to them. That's exactly what Peter does. And that's exactly what gets Peter in trouble. This sign draws people that people might hear the hope of salvation that comes in Jesus. That's what the neon sign is doing right here. And that sign is a foretaste of things to come. Because Bible tells us that one day everything really is going to be healed. But not just healed like this man was. He was crippled and now he's made whole. Think also of um, stories like Lazarus, who is raised from the dead by Jesus. doesn't get much more dramatic than that for healings. Lazarus is raised from the dead, but what is going to happen to Lazarus? He's going to die again, and he did, and so did this crippled man. These were signs, these were foretastes, beautiful pictures of the final, full, irreversible, healing and life that is coming to us. Jesus raised from the dead, resurrected, promises that one day he's going to come back 
and he's going to restore all things. And he's going to raise up our bodies as well, bodies that are impervious to cancer, that are not withered by disease and age. We are going to be healed. And this crippled man got a foretaste of that, but of the healing that is coming to all who are in Jesus. It is a neon sign pointing to that. But what gets proclaimed are a couple different things. What gets proclaimed, the heart of it, is a new hope. We find this in verses 10 through 12. Let it be known, this is in the middle of Peter speaking to the, to the rulers, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At the heart of this passage is the heart of the gospel, this proclamation of the name of Jesus, that there is no other name by which any of us may be saved. And it's a confrontation to the leaders. You notice uh, Peter is actually quoting from referring to Psalm 118 here when he talks about this idea of a cornerstone that's been rejected. Okay, the cornerstone was the first block that you put in uh, the foundation of a building. And you had to make sure that block had straight edges because everything else lines up from there. And Psalm 118 speaks of the cornerstone that was rejected by God's leaders, and that's what Peter's quoting here. He said, you looked at Jesus and said, here's a crooked stone, here's a life we didn't expect, here's someone who came through brokenness and healing and not through military vengeance, here's someone that says he came to save the world but not in the way we expected. That is too crooked to be a stone in this building. And Peter says, without knowing it, you rejected, you rejected the cornerstone. The one who stands at the foundation of all God is actually truly doing. And instead, he says, Christ has been honored as the cornerstone. And he goes on to say, there's salvation to be found in no one else. And that means, when Peter says this, it means there's nothing else that can save us means there's no other philosophy that's going to make us wise enough. There's no other religion that's going to lead us to the truth. There is no other way that we're going to be saved. It is not possible for us to work hard enough, to be good enough, to be holy enough, to polish our lives enough that we can be saved by those efforts. What does he say? There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. The only way to be saved is through the power, cleansing, and healing, and blood of Jesus. Peter stands before the religious authorities and says, you rejected him, but this is the only way. Peter and John, as so many people had in the first few chapters of Acts, have found a new hope. And it's a new hope that has set them remarkably free. And I think we see that illustrated pretty clearly when we look at what this actually means for Peter and John in particular. Okay, we've talked about a, new, a neon sign, a new hope. Well, that new hope plays out for John and Peter in a new courage. Because if you remember some of the gospel stories, and as we said at the beginning of Acts, the, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are, are two halves of the same volume, written by the same author. And the gospel of Luke talks about the birth, the life, the teaching and ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you remember near the end of that story, 
when Jesus um, is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, who shows up? Well, the temple guard. Same folks showed up in the temple that day to arrest Peter and John. And they grab Jesus, and everybody, and everybody scatters. And they haul Jesus in the middle of the night to court. And if you know the end of Luke, you're going to recognize some of these names. The same people who are there. Annas and Caiaphas, the Sadducees, the elders, the rulers of Israel. This is deja vu for John and for Peter. We've seen these people before. There's been another court scene. And interestingly, for Peter and John, while everybody scatters, they sort of slink after Jesus in the darkness. We read in the book of John that John, through some connections with people that he knows was actually brought into the courtroom to observe. So there's John. He saw the trial of Jesus. As far as we know, didn't speak up, didn't say a word. We know the story of Peter. On the outside, by the campfire, waiting to see what happens. And three times people ask him, don't you, weren't you with Jesus? Don't, don't you know him? And three times he says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. The last time they were in court with these people was one of their, mo- their moments of greatest failure. And you can't be Peter and John in this scene without thinking about what happened in that last courtroom scene. When Jesus, the only truly innocent one, is falsely accused and he's slandered and he's beaten and he's sentenced to death. And these very same leaders hand Jesus over to the Romans to take him out the next day and to crucify him. And here are Peter and John on the floor of the court themselves now in front of the same men and they have to be thinking, are we going to be handed over to the Romans and crucified? Because we know how this story goes. It's deja vu for Peter and John. But do you notice that they stand and they speak? Because the gospel has given them a new hope. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And they have been freed now to speak that boldly, even in the middle of persecution. And the leaders are amazed at this. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, when it says uneducated common men, uneducated doesn't mean that they were illiterate. What it means is they had not been schooled in the rabbinical studies of Judaism. And they were common men. They were lay people. They were not religious professionals like the Sadducees who were judging them were. Looking at them, these are just everyday people. And here they are standing and speaking so boldly to us. And here they are having performed this sign in the name of Jesus that we can't deny. How could this be? And do you notice the second half of this? And they noticed that they had been with Jesus. These two men have been transformed by the work of Jesus on their behalf. They've been transformed by a life spent with Jesus that they might be standing here giving testimony to their friend and their Lord and their Savior. They've been given a new courage, and it turns in for them into bold witness. Verse 19 and 20, they go on, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They have been so captivated and so changed by a new hope that's come to them in Jesus that they say, Even though you might hand us over to the Romans 
five minutes from now, we cannot help but speak of this. A new hope that has given them a new courage, a bold witness. And for them, it's given them a second chance. Maybe some of you remember this is years ago. Now, you remember the movie City Slickers? The movie City Slickers. Billy Crystal and his buddies, every year, they're, they're sort of these guys that are um, they're always struggling in their marriages. Some of them have had recent divorces. They've, um, uh, they're never content with their lives. And this group of three friends, every year they go on some outlandish trip to try to reinvigorate their lives. They've, gone, they've run with the bulls in Pamplona. You, know, they, you name it, they've done it. And this year, one of the friends says, this year we're going to a dude ranch. And we're going to be real cowboys. So uh, Billy Crystal and his friends, they, they go off to the ranch, and things actually begin to change. It's funny. Billy Crystal's in it. But in the middle of it, they come to some actual realization about their lives. And one line stands at the middle of this movie that when I first heard it, and for a long time afterwards, I thought, oh, that's the most ridiculous, wishy-washy thing I've ever heard. Um, what I didn't realize is that it, though I didn't know it, was actually speaking the gospel. Because... One of, one of Billy Crystal's friends looks to him as they've found and been reinvigorated in life by taking this time on the ranch and learning new lessons about life, being transformed. One of Billy Crystal's friends looks at him and says, life is one big do-over. Now what Peter and John find is that for them, because of the forgiveness transforming life of Jesus. For them, life has become one big do-over because for them, their failure does not have the last word. They're abandoning Jesus. Their weakness and their sin doesn't have the last word. Jesus has come in and transformed them. He, brought, he has brought them a new hope and he's brought them, that plays out for them, in new courage. So for us, a great sign has been performed. What is that going to do for us? What is that doing in the middle of our lives right now as we experience God's mission to us and God's mission through us? What is this new hope doing in our lives? Do we know because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that there is now no other name but Jesus by which we must be saved, but must be saved? like Peter and John, people who have failed greatly and who continue to fail. But here in the gospel, we have a word of hope that speaks more deeply than our failure, that reaches further than our sin, that embraces our failure and goes beyond. The hope of the gospel, the forgiveness of God brought to us in Jesus that is greater than everything that stands in the way. We, too, are people looking to Jesus who have a new hope. Where is that going to give us new courage this week? Where is that going to loosen our tongues that we might confess this Lord and Savior, apart from whom there is no salvation? Where is the gospel going to give us new hope as we step into all the messy parts of our lives, all the places that seemed dead, all the places that seemed absent from God, all the places that seemed further than God's healing could possibly reach. The word of the gospel is that Jesus reaches deeper still. May that new hope give us new courage even this week as we look to him. Let's pray. Father, you show up 
sometimes in incredibly dramatic ways, as you did when you healed this man. And we thank you for this great sign. And we thank you, Father, of what this sign points to. The resurrection life of Jesus that he offers freely to his people. Would we know more of that, drink more deeply? Would we remember that there is no other name under heaven by which we, met, we must be saved? And would that free us from all the other things we look to to find our salvation, that we would look only to Jesus? And that that would give us new courage to step into the difficulties and hardness of our daily lives that are on our minds even now, that weigh on our shoulders every day of the week. May we find new hope because of real resurrection life that is in Jesus. Meet us, we pray. We are your weak people needing you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.